Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Paul says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, as I prayed over whether or not we were going to move into the next verses about wives submitting to your husbands, I'm not afraid of that passage. Can't wait to get to that passage. But I really felt like God wanted us to spend one more week in these verses that we left off in last time we were together. Last time we were together, we looked at psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And as I looked back over and said, is there anything else here, Lord, you want me to bring out before we move on? What jumped out at me was in these last three verses, verses 15, 16, and 17, the thankfulness Three times, once in verse 15, once in verse 16, once in verse 17, and each time it's slightly different. In verse 15, he says, be thankful. In verse 16, he says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In verse 17, he says, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. And so as I looked at this, I came to realize there must be a reason that Paul three times says in those verses, talks about being thankful. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to spend our time really digging into why he says in three verses, thankfulness, thankfulness, thankfulness. And my prayer is that God will open our eyes to what's really going on here and to the depth of this. So let's break each of these three verses down to see what, what God has here for us. The first one is in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now there's two main aspects that are going to help us understand what God's wanting us to understand about thankfulness tonight. And that is the peace of Christ and the fact that he says we are called to one body. So let me read this passage to you again and listen again to those two parts, peace of Christ and in one body. And it says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your heart and your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. When you hear those ter- the term, the peace of Christ, Does that bring any other scripture to your mind that you know of where the Bible talks about the peace of Christ? It's in Philippians. Back up. You're you're in uh, Colossians. Back up one book to Philippians chapter 4. Here it talks about, calls it the peace of God. But listen to verse 7, and then we're going to back up to verse 2 and look at the full context. In verse 7 of Philippians chapter 4, it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All right, so this peace of Christ from God, that's through Christ, we see is talked about here in verse 7. But I want to back up to verse 2 of chapter 4 and look at the context. It says, I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know if you caught this or not, but this passage that we love to quote, this very familiar passage to many of us where it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I'll say rejoice, and how we're not to be anxious about anything but everything. 
with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through through Christ Jesus. Now, listen closely. Has anybody caught that it was in the context of two ladies in a church who are having a disagreement? It's tied to the fact that, well, as we just saw in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, let me read it to you again. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. What I want you to understand is in this verse 15, the reason for thankfulness is the fact that God has put us together. Now, we're going to go way back. We're going to go a little bit deeper than that. Some of the things I've already taught you and I'm just going to remind you of other things you might not have seen before. But I want to remind you that our unity should be rooted in the fact that God is making one body. But by the way, does anybody know who he's making this one body out of? Oh, it's more than just us. Yes, it is us. I'm sorry. It's through Christ. The church is made is this new body made up of. Believers, see, that's what I wanted you to see. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verses 11 through 22. Folks, if you want the scriptures to really begin to make sense, you need to stop listening to all the preaching and teaching that talks about how the church is the center of God's plan. Actually, the nation of Israel is the center of God's plan. And the church is something that God is doing right now for a time to make Israel jealous, as you're going to see in a little bit, to display his glory, to show what he's doing. And at a certain time, this church age, which is for a short period of time, is going to come to a close. He takes us to be with him. And then he finishes what he had already promised to do in the nation of Israel. Right now, the church is being made up of Jew and Gentile, Making one body. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, he says, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far, once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Do you see that? Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commands expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And what Paul's saying here is, is you Gentiles might have grown up with the Jews saying that God loved them and didn't like you. That's not the case. But don't you Gentiles think that now because Israel's experienced the hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. 
Don't think that now God loves you and doesn't love the, uh, doesn't love the Jews. God has all along decided to, desired to make one new body out of both. It's been his plan all along. And right now, we Gentiles need to understand that we have not replaced Israel. Even though the promise is made to Israel, we're experiencing because God has given them to us for a time and for eternity. That doesn't mean that God's not done with Israel, that God is done with Israel. He's not done with Israel. Go to Romans chapter 11. In Romans chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1. Now, let me lay a foundation for you. You can write this down look at it later on. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 21. Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. Way, way back at the beginning of the nation of Israel, when they're about to go into the promised land, through Moses, God told the nation of Israel pretty much what was going to happen to them in their whole history. And in verse 21 of chapter 32, he says, You all are going to go after other gods that aren't gods to make me jealous. I'm going to take a people you don't consider a people to make you jealous. And that's us Gentiles. Romans chapter 11. Paul says, I then I ask then, has God rejected his people, meaning the Jews, by no means? For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it's no longer in the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their, let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So verse 11, so I ask, did they, meaning the Jews, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles to what? To make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, Paul says, in as much as then I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, well, branches were broken off, so I might be grafted in. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith, so don't become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. 
For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight. I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. And then he quotes from the Old Testament, the deliverer will come from Zion. He'll banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God, but now have, now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. And then Paul breaks into praise. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who's been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now look at what he says in chapter 12. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, brothers, by the mercies of God, be, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And don't be conformed to the, this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now we're going to come back to this section in just a little bit. But let me just kind of catch you up on everything that I just read to you. Paul, in chapter 9, said, if he could go to hell so that the Jews would be saved, he'd do it. That was his heart. Yet God had chosen for him to be a messenger to the Gentiles of God's salvation. And he also understood that God was saving the Gentiles right now, to make Israel jealous. The promises he made to Israel that we've looked at before in, his, in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, where God says, in the last days, I'm going to bring you back from all the lands that I've scattered you, Israel. I'm going to bring you back into your land, and I'm going to put my spirit in you, and I'm going to move you to follow my decrees. Those are some wonderful promises, aren't they? God, in his grace, for a time, has chosen to just give those promises right now to us who are Gentiles. This whole thing of us being in the church is really about the fact, especially for those who are Gentiles, is the fact that God, by His grace, has just chosen to give us what He promised He's going to do one day future for the nation of Israel. How many of you worked real hard to be saved? No, somebody just showed up and started telling you the truth, didn't you? And then once you heard it, and you know in your story, Jim, God chased you down. He kept sending people after people after people, even though you rejected it and said, no, and I don't want that, and I'm, get away from me. He pursued you by his grace and said, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. And I'm only going to forgive your sin. I'm going to put my spirit in you. Go to Colossians again. But go back to Colossians chapter 1 and look at verses 24 through 27. 
Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I'm filling out, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints to them. God chose to make known how great among who? The Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, Paul says, I want to show you that God's called me to help you Gentiles understand the fullness of the word of God. There's a mystery that hadn't been revealed in previous times, but now is being revealed. And that mystery is that God was going to put his spirit inside the Gentiles. See, it wasn't a mystery that God's going to put his spirit inside the Jews. God promised that way, way back in Ezekiel 36. God already told the Jews one day he's going to put his spirit in them. But guess what? The fact that he was just going to put his spirit in the Gentiles. By the way, the Gentiles, we Gentiles, we haven't tried to earn God's approval. We haven't been going through all the sacrifices, all the years of going to festivals and, and keeping the feasts and all this stuff. We were never even a part of any of that kind of stuff. And God, because he planned to do it, because of what he's trying to do in the nation of Israel, has chosen right now to say, by my grace, I'm going to give you what I already promised them. That's a mystery that had not been revealed, but now is made known to us. That everything he's promised Israel is ours right now. Listen, can any of us, if we really understand this, become proud and think we're special? No. Thank God. That he's let us be a part. Of. He could have. By the way, that's what Romans, I'm sorry, yeah, Romans chapter 9 deals with in verse 22 and following. Paul says this, he says, what if God did create some just to go to heaven? What if God did create some just to go to hell? He has every right to do it however he wanted. Listen closely. The scripture doesn't say that God chose some to go to heaven and some to go to hell. But Paul says we need to have the attitude that understands God could have done it that way if he chose to. Who are we as, the, as the, the clay to say to the potter, why did you make me like this? He has every right to do it however he wants. And he's not done with Israel, folks. And the time's coming to a close quickly Amen. when the Gentiles are going to be given this grace. We're going to be taken to be with him. And the promises that he's made to Israel about that 70th week are... These pieces are coming into place. Amen. It's going to happen. And our attitude then should be thankfulness. Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, to which indeed we were called in one body, and just be thankful that we're able to be a part of it. But you know what's happened to us in the church? We have all started jockeying for position. We have all fallen into the attitude of Satan and tried to fight for what we think is ours amongst each other. I plead with Yodia and Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Folks, you want proof that we have lost this attitude of, I'm just so grateful that I get to be a part of what God's doing? Try to let somebody sit in your seat next week. It's sad. It's silly. But that's my seat.
Some of you might even have paid a little extra money to have your family's plaque put on the back of that pew. Folks, let me remind you of what got Satan removed from his position in heaven. I want you to write this down and look at it later on because time-wise, we don't have time to really go there. But write down Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. And Ezekiel 28, verses 11 through 17. Ezekiel 28, verses 11 through 17. But I want you to turn to the Ezekiel, Ezekiel passage with me. Go to Ezekiel 28 and look at verses 11 through 17. Satan was a, an angel, is an angel, created by God. And as you may or may not know, there's different levels of authority in the angelic realm. Some are cherubs, some are seraphim, some are angels, some are archangels. There's different levels of authority. God, in his plan, chose it to be that way. As I've shown you before, I believe the Bible teaches that the angels were created before the foundation of the world. Because in Job chapter 38, when God says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth and the morning stars sang for joy? Where were you when I started building the universe and build the earth and the angels worshiped? The angels existed before that. Satan was given a high-ranking position. If you ever read Tony Kessinger's book called The Devil is in the Details, it's one of the best books that really breaks down a study of Satan and his stuff. And you'll find that the Bible actually all along has had what his name is. We've used terms like Lucifer and Satan and all that kind of stuff, and those are fine. But if you go back and look in the actual Hebrew, you'll find that his name was Helel. There's Michael, Gabriel, and Satan's name was Hillel. And if you read the book of Tobit, all the angels that they list there are uh, end in L. They end in L, yes, exactly. All along, he was one of the highest ranking angels. Listen to chapter 28, verses 11 through 17. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. By the way, it's obvious now he's not just talking about the human king of Tyre, is he? You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. I want you to go to Isaiah 14 as well. Go to Isaiah 14. I want you to see it. I was going to have you look at it, but I want you to see it tonight. Isaiah 14. Look at verses 12 through 14. In Isaiah chapter 14, starting in verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. By the way, Hillel is there in the Hebrew. 
How you are fallen, O Daystar, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This guardian cherub, Hellel, all we know him as Satan or Lucifer, at some point, even though he was created in perfection and beauty, given a high-ranking position, some of us understand that he was a lead worshiper in heaven. Even though he was given a wonderful position, he said, I want more. I want to become like God. And because of that, he was cast from the presence of God. Now, he's still able to be in the presence of God. Don't misunderstand. He lost his position in heaven. He still goes back and forth between heaven and earth now because he's the daily accuser of the brethren. He, as we see in the book of Job, when the angels appear before God, Satan comes with them. Uh, he's still allowed in the presence of God. At the midpoint of the tribulation is when he's going to be cast from heaven, finally down to the earth, never able to go back in the presence of God again. There's going to be a war in heaven, and Michael and his angels are going to fight with Satan and his angels, and he's going to be cast down to the earth at that time. And boy, he's going to make it hard on earth because he'll know that his time is short. But listen, folks, if Satan's rebellion was because he was proud and he wanted to jockey for position. Is it right that we in the church should ever be fighting with each other over position? I mean, it's silly little stuff like I didn't get to pick the, I didn't get picked to sing the special. I wanted the solo. Right on down to, well, they don't play the music I like. And when we start falling into an attitude that says it's about me and what I want, I mean, I'm a part of the church. I've had people say, I'm a member, I pay my tithes, I get to have a say what goes on around here. What we don't realize is, is we're letting Satan actually speak through us. When Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and just be thankful that you're able to be a part of what God's doing. It never ever was supposed to be about you and your wishes and your desires. You want proof? Go to Philippians chapter 2 and look at the attitude of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Paul says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from, the lo from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. In other words, are you able to walk out of church next week and say the songs that the other group likes better, they got more of theirs today, good for them? This will show whether or not you really understand this passage. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In other words, Jesus, who was God, did not exercise all the things he could in being God, but he humbled himself, took the form of a servant, considered others more important than himself on his entire time on, on the earth, even to the point of allowing the people he created to kill him. Not only kill him, but put him on a death on a cross, like you said, to torture him even. Folks, I really want to just pray that the Spirit of God is allowed to let this sink into us so that it goes and affects all the churches that we're a part of all around this area. That we would stop jockeying for position, seeking what we want, fussing to the pastor about the things that aren't the way we want them to be, but that we would truly have an attitude that says, I'm just glad I'm a part of it. I'm just so glad that he kept this church age going until I got saved. I'm just glad that I get to be a part of it. I'm going to be praying for Israel. I'm going to be watching Israel. I'm going to pray for leaders that will be for Israel because it's really about them. We've been grafted in for a time. And when that time comes to a close, he's going to reward us and glorify us, those of us who have been willing to let him do what he wants to do in our life. You know what kind of preaching we hear in our churches today? Dominion theology of you can be everything you want to be that doesn't match up with the scripture folks remember that passage in Romans I told you we're going to come back to go back to Romans chapter 12 again you know the Bible doesn't say you can be everything you want to be Romans chapter 12 yeah, the army does and uh, they tricked you too didn't they <laughs> You remember how it words in the King James, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, because of the mercies of God. In other words, because of everything we just dealt with in chapter 11 about the fact that we have been for a time as Gentiles grafted in and he's going to finish what he started with Israel because it really isn't about us, but it's about him. And he's chosen to let us be a part of it because of the mercies of God. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Daily say no to your flesh and what you want. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, which, by the way, if you watch TV, you know the pattern of this world. Obey your thirst. Have it your way. You deserve a break today. It's all about you. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed daily by the renewing of your mind. Then you're going to be able to know what God's will is. Oh, you want to know what God's will is? He's got a specific plan for each of you. And I'm telling you, it's not what the nominating committee says it is. Listen to what he says in chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, in other words, because of the role God's given me, I say to every one of you, among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, which we are, we have many parts, and the parts don't all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. Let us use them. 
If it's prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If it's service, in serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Just tonight, I had the privilege of signing a little piece of paper that, as a recommendation for Michael and Debbie, so they could go and do hands-on ministry in this hospital. I was glad to say they'd be good at it. I was glad because that means I don't have to do it. <laughs> oh, but Jim, you're a pastor. Please, folks, I can't stress this to you enough. Some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, and some are pastor teachers. I, even though I've had the title of pastor, even though I've pastored churches, I have never had a heart in me for the one-on-one -on -one counseling, walking you through stuff. There are those that are called to that and gifted, and I was so glad to say, yes, yes, yes. I even lied on their form just so that they get to go do it and not me. <laughs> Actually, I didn't lie on their form. But I wanted so bad that they get chosen to do that job because the whole idea of dealing with someone one-on-one -on -one in an emergency situation, folks, let me just tell you something. My gifting is to stand in front of big groups and to teach and preach the Word of God. When someone's just committed suicide, when someone's just lost a child, there's nothing you can say, I'm helpless. But you're a pastor. No, some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are pastor teachers. Just because they gave me the title pastor doesn't mean I have a pastoral gift. Oh, but it's not just for us. It's for each of you as well. How many of you have felt guilty because you have a child? You're supposed to work in the nursery. And you were guilted into it. But that's not your thing. There are things, though, that God has for each of us. And I'm telling you, when you find out what that is and you do just that, it's fun. It's not hard. It's easy. People look at my life and they say, how do you live such a crazy life of travel? You don't understand. My wife will tell you, it's like a kid at Christmas every time I'm about to get on another airplane. I love it. I love it. It's what I'm wired for. I can't wait to get here on Tuesday nights. I preach today at noon. I can't wait to do my radio program tomorrow. It's what God's called me to do. All the other stuff, I'm finally growing up in my walk with the Lord to be able to say when people expect me to be there, no, someone else will do a better job. Oh, no, Jim, they can't do as well as you. You just don't understand. Some will do a better job, much better job. Folks, find out what it is that God's called you to do, no matter how small in the world's eyes, and just do it. And you'll find joy, and you'll find peace. Don't listen to those who say you can be all you want to be. What did John the Baptist say in John chapter 3 when they came and they said, Are you the Christ? I love it. In the NIV, he puts it this way. He says, a man can only receive what he's been given from above. He must increase. It's time for me to decrease. I had a very public role preparing the way for him. But now that he's come on the scene, my job is done. It's time for me to go back into the shadows. Folks, in each of your churches, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And you're called to be one body and just be thankful that you get to be a part of it. Go back to chapter 3 of Colossians and look at verse 16.
Look at verse 16, Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. All right. We've already looked at because of the fact that we've been, God, by God's grace, a part of this thing he's doing. Because of that, we're to just be thankful that we're a part of it. Find out whatever small part it is that we're supposed to be and just do that and just be thankful. And you're going to find Christianity so much fun when you don't know whether or not the church is meeting budget, when you don't know how much everybody's getting paid, when you don't know whether or not this is done right. or that. When you just find out what it is you're supposed to do, trust me, church becomes so much more fun. But then he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now, let me just tell you, that's what I've been doing for the last 40 minutes. I've been taking the word of God and I've been teaching you and admonishing you at the same time. But we're also to do that to each other in the roles and the ways that God's called us. But we're also to do it singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, listen closely. We already dealt with this all last week. That doesn't mean psalms and the Wesleys and... Praise choruses. The Wesleys weren't even born for a thousand years after Paul wrote this. This was, remember, remember from our last week's teaching that they were to let the Psalms be a focus of what they did with each other because there's not only music in the Psalms, there's a great theology and prophecy in the Psalms. At the same time, the hymns were, as we looked at last week, Psalms that sung of the greatness of God and praised him for what he had done. And a lot of times those weren't even done with music. They were a cappella. Let me give you a couple examples of what I'm talking about. Go to uh, um, Mark chapter 14. Now, I wanna, I'm going to ask you a question in this passage. Here's the question. We're about to read it. Tell me what has been going on and what's about to go on. What's the context of Mark 14, verse 26? It says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. What has been going on? What is about to go on right at this point? The Last Supper. And where are they headed? To go to the garden. And what's going to happen in the garden? Jesus is going to pray and they're going to sleep. And then what's going to happen? They're going to arrest him and he's going to go to the cross. Don't miss this. In this life of being satisfied to let God do in our lives whatever he chooses because it's really about him and not about us. Remember, his ways are beyond tracing out. Who's ever known the mind of God? Who's ever given to God that you should repay him for from him and to him and through him and for him are all things. Because this is all really about God and what he's doing and less about us than we've been taught. Because of that, let me just give you a little help. There are going to be lots of times that God chooses to put you through and allow things in your life that you don't want. For his glory. And sometimes in those times, the only way you can be thankful is to spend some time praising God in song for who he is and what he's done. Remember the old song, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart? Jesus was about to go to the cross. I would love to know what song, what psalm they pulled out as the hymn that night 
that sung of the greatness of it might have even been a prophecy about what was to happen. Oh, go with me to Acts chapter 16. Again, I'm going to ask you the same question. Give me the what's gone on and what's about to go on. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Acts 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to him, to them. What has just gone on? They were thrown in jail. Not only were they thrown in jail, they were beaten severely, illegally, because they're Roman citizens and they weren't allowed to be beaten or put in prison unless they've been found guilty in a trial. What are they doing sitting there in the prison? They're singing and praising God for who he is and what he's done. Folks, listen to me. Sometimes the only way you can really be thankful when you've lost that person, when the doctor says, I got bad news, or whatever it is that happens, and it's going to happen because God is doing stuff in our lives for his glory. And just like the man who was born blind, and for 38 years he had been blind, and the disciples came and they said, uh, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Because we've been taught that if you're sick, it's because you've got sin. So this man was born blind, so either he sinned in the womb or his parents sinned and Jesus said neither now he wasn't saying neither this guy or his parents were sinless but he's saying this wasn't because of sin but so that the glory of God may be revealed in other words God chose to have this man born blind and let him stay blind for 38 years just for that moment that when Jesus shows up he could get glory now let's be honest how does that really make you feel what if you're the one that God says this is what I've chosen for you. As Job said, even though you slay me, even though he slay me, yet will I trust him. We love the story of Corey Ten Boom, don't we? How many of us want to be Corey Ten Boom? And folks, I can't tell you what's going to happen, but I can promise you in some way or another, either in greater measure than others, you're all going to go through stuff like that. In this life, you will have trouble. And sometimes, even though the scripture says we still be thankful, how can I? I've got to go back to remind myself who he is and what he's done. Even if that means going all the way back to the cross, because I can definitely nail a stake in the ground there and know that he's proven that he loves me. Because in times that you wonder because of what's going on, when you're wondering where he is, when you're wondering if your prayers are getting past the ceiling, there are those times that you, all you can do is just say, God, I don't understand, but this is who you are, and this is what you've done, and that means even though I don't understand this, I can still be thankful. Because you also promised that you will cause all things to work for good for those who love him. Another call according to your purpose. I may not see it in this life. By the way, I don't know if you caught that or not. In the context of Romans 8, 28, we all would love, we love to act like it's, we're going to see the good now. You go back and double check me. In the whole context of Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18, Paul says, I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed. In other words... As bad as it is here, what's to come is far greater. And the rest of the whole context of that section is heaven. 
Creation's waiting for the sons of God to be revealed so they can be released from its bondage. Not only that, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as son, the redemption of our bodies. And there are times we don't even know what to pray about, but the Holy Spirit, who knows what God's doing, helps us by praying, even prays for us ahead of time because he's praying in accordance with the will of God. And that's how we can know that God will cause all things to work for the good to those who love him are the called according to his purpose. Why? Because those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And those he foreknew, he called. And those he called, he, he glorified, sorry, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Folks, the context is, do you realize that Romans 8, 28, you might not ever fully understand the, all the good that's going to come out of it till we get to heaven? <coughs> How often is I as a preacher, when someone lost a child or lost someone they unexpectedly and someone got saved at the funeral, they say, oh, God's going to make something good come out of it. You know what? That's awesome. But the Bible doesn't say that we're going to see it in this life. But can you understand that there's a great, awesome God who does nothing wrong? Everything he does is perfect. And even though we don't understand by his grace, he's let us be a part of this big master plan that's including Israel and going to culminate in Israel. And we've just for a time been allowed to be a part of it. And we've got to stop worrying about whether or not someone parks in our space, sings the song we wanted, didn't want to sing, or sits in our seat, or whether or not the temperature was what we want, or whether the preacher did a good job, or whether or not they even, the preacher even called me because he should have called me, he should have known. And all this stuff... Where we think it's about us, tonight the Lord says to you, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which you are called in one body and just be thankful that you're a part of what he's doing. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you admonish one another and teach one another. And you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs what with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do. Verse 17 of Colossians chapter 3. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, with all this in mind, we need to live our lives daily with a sense of God's greatness and our gratefulness. We need to daily put our flesh on the altar and die to our own wishes and allow God's word to renew our minds to the truth that God's plan for us is way better than our plans for ourselves. Now, listen closely. I have not said tonight that when you're in the midst of a struggle that you're not to ask God to fix it. I have not said that you're not to ask God to remove it. I'm not saying that you're not to ask God for something more. The Bible teaches that as well. But your prayer needs to end with, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Paul said in 1 and 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and following, because of the great uh, revelations that he had been given, a thorn in his flesh had been given to him, a messenger, a tormentor of Satan, and he begged three times for it to be removed. And God's answer was, my grace for you is sufficient. I'm going to leave it. And even though Paul begged three times for God to take it away, and every time the answer was no, Paul then said, then I'm going to embrace it. This is the life that he's chosen for me. And if he's going to get glory through whatever this thorn is, and I'm glad we don't know what it is. So that whatever it is you're going through, if he's chosen to say no, and it's going to stay, there's nothing wrong with asking him to take it away. But if he chooses to leave it, he has a reason, and everything he does is right. And I'm just going to embrace it because this is God, and he's got a plan. And he's already proven it because of what he did on the cross. And I'm just glad I get to be a part of this. And it really doesn't matter about me and my wishes. 
the same time, didn't Jesus pray that kind of prayer? Father, if there's any way you can remove this cup from me, I'm for it. Here's my will. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. By the way, what was God's, the Father's answer to Jesus' request? His answer was no. How many of you have ever looked at that story where in Mark chapter 5, when Jesus, or in chapter 4, it's either chapter 4 or chapter 5, where Jesus goes across the lake to this man who's got the legion of demons. And he's been chained there because nobody can control him. And Jesus goes out of his way, gets on a boat to go meet this guy. And he heals him. Cast the demons out. As you know, the demons go into the pigs and they all commit suicide. And, but let me back you up. When he cast the demons out, the demons say to him, we know who you are. Please don't send us to the abyss before the appointed time. Could you let us go into the pigs? Jesus said, yes. The demons prayed a prayer, and Jesus' answer to the demons was, yes. Of course, pig farmers weren't too excited about that yes. Those pigs all killed themselves. The reaction of the pig farmers and the people of that town, after seeing this man sitting there in his right mind, their reaction was fear, and they said, Jesus, would you please leave our area? Jesus said yes. The man who had been healed starts to get in the boat with him and says, I want to go with you. And Jesus told him no. You ever thought about that? The demons got a yes. The unbelieving townspeople got a yes. The one who had just been healed and saved was told no. That kind of blows up a lot of teaching we've heard over the years, isn't it? God said, no, I want you to go back to your family. Tell them all the Lord's done. That's the plan I have for your life. You remember back in Genesis? God said to Adam and Eve, I want you to be fruitful and fill the earth. You get to chapter 10, and the people in the area of Babylon say, we don't want to be scattered across the whole earth. We know what God said. We don't want to do it. Oh, by the way, who won? He just scattered the languages and confused the languages, and he got them to do what he wanted them to do. Uh, as Paul was told when he met Jesus face to face, it's hard to kick against the goads. In other words, um. I'm going to get my stuff done. Don't fight me. Folks, there's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, here's my desire. Here's what I want. And there's nothing wrong with asking him more than once. But ultimately, you need to be willing to hear if he says no, the answer is no. And when he says no, he has a reason, even if we don't see it. We need to trust him. Go to Matthew chapter 15. I'm going to wrap up with this tonight. Oh, for churches full of women like this lady in Matthew 15. Oh, and by the way, you want to talk about a picture of what the church is supposed to look like? Here is a Gentile woman. In Matthew 15, Jesus at this time is still being sent to the Jews first. Eventually going to be sent to the Gentiles. Right now he's sent to the Jews first. In Matthew 15, verse 22. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region 
came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he didn't answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Listen closely to what's going on here. I want you to let this sink in. We read these stories too fast. Put yourself in the situation. Put yourself in that woman's situation. You hear that Jesus is in the area. You've been hearing all this stuff he's been doing. And you run and say, Jesus, Jesus, my daughter's got a demon. And he doesn't even look at her. Just keeps walking. She keeps calling out so much, though, the disciples come in and say, she's driving us nuts. Would you just do something? And then he says, it's not right for the children's bread to go to the dogs. Now, let's just be straight up honest, folks. What did he just call her? A dog. Oh, but listen to what her attitude was. She said, then I'll be a dog. You're the only one that has what I need. You're the only one that can meet my problem and fix it. You're the only one with the power. You're the only one. There ain't anybody else that can help me. You're the only one. And if it means I'll be a dog to get it, I'll be a dog. Because even the dogs get to lick a little bit of crumbs that fall from the children's table. If all that I have is just a little bit, that's all I want. I need what you got. Wouldn't you love to have a church full of ladies like that? who are content with whatever it is that God has for them. I think of Maude Hagen. She used to go to church here, but because of her situation with her grandchildren, she moved to First Merritt Island, and I love Maude. Can't wait. Whenever I'm in town, I got to get a hug from Maude because Maude is one of those ladies. It ain't about Maude. It's about everybody else but Maude. Oh, for a church full of Maude Hagens. Oh, for a church full of Canaanites who say, I'll just take whatever he has for me. That's all I need. Folks, the Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. So let me remind you, let the peace of Christ, who knows fully what it means to deny himself and to take a role that was given to him by the Father and to fulfill it, even though it meant even death on a cross. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Just thankful that you get to be a part of this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching you and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs again with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether it's word or action, do everything because of Jesus, through Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Isn't that amazing? Just those three verses, all that was there that we had missed. But I'm so grateful that we have the time to take an hour and just look at three verses where it says, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. 
Let's pray together. Father, again, all I can do sometimes is just stop and say, wow. Because if we're honest and we let this word speak to us and let these truths, the whole of Scripture speak to us, we see that a lot of the stuff that we think is church isn't church. Father, we're fighting over the color of the carpet, whether the choir should wear robes, whether or not there can be a drink in the sanctuary. Lord, we're fighting over whether we're sitting in pews or chairs. We're fighting over whether or not we're going to sing from a book or on a screen. And over the years, as we have church hopped, we have developed an attitude of looking for a church that meets our needs. Looking for a place that is what we want it to be. And we haven't looked like Jesus. We've looked like Satan. We've looked like Hillel. And tonight, we ask for your forgiveness. And we just say, Father, may the truth of the fact that we've been allowed to be a part of something awesome May the reality of the fact that you're putting all the pieces in place for those final seven years for the nation of Israel. May, as we look on the world stage and see all this going on, may that spur us to be reminded that this church age, this time of grace is coming to an end. Lord, thank you that we've been able to be a part of it. And Father, forgive us for thinking it's about us. And Lord, my prayer is that the reality of who we are, the one who lived this out already in a human body, this willingness to just take whatever role we've been given, Lord, may that be lived out in each of our lives, whatever it looks like. If some, if it's giving, they just give. If it's serving, just let them serve in whatever area that they can serve. Father, forgive us for thinking, well, they didn't call me or they didn't pick me. Lord, you're bigger than that. You got something for us to do, you're going to do it. Lord, I thank you that you've been teaching me not to make phone calls in this ministry or to send out my brochure or to market myself, but to believe that the one who called me to do this traveling and teaching ministry is going to fill my schedule. Lord, I just want to preach wherever you have in mind, and that's all. Oh, my flesh sometimes wants the bigger and bigger, better venue, the greater opportunities in the man's eyes, but Lord, I, I'll take whatever crumbs you have for Jim Johnson and Just Preacher Ministries because you've got a plan in mind what you want to do and I'll do just that. Lord, some of us have been asked to live harder lives than others. Father, some of us have gone through years of trying to have a child and you said no. Yet we watch teenagers mess around one time in the backseat of a car and they get pregnant and it's hard for us. Lord, may we be thankful. May we sing hymns during those times be reminded of who you really are and what you've already done so we can trust you. Be thankful. Now, Father, I pray that people that run into us begin to realize this person thinks of others more than they think of themselves. May that be seen not only in me, but in each of us in whatever way you make it manifest itself. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming.